This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, as you may know, physicians and healthcare professionals are sometimes called upon in the ER and OR to stop the bleeding when a patient presents with trauma or a serious health complication. Now, the NLMA is calling on provincial government officials to stop the bleeding to prevent the loss of doctors working in rural parts of the province. Some people are calling what's happening in certain parts of Newfoundland and Labrador and central Newfoundland in particular right now a crisis. The provincial government has called a news conference in Gander tomorrow to outline initiatives outlined in the budget to help address physician recruitment and the delivery of health care. Well, my guest today on On Target is president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Medical Association, Dr. Susan McDonald. Hello. Hello, how are you? Good. Well, when I reached out uh, to have you on the show, uh, you had put out a release yesterday, but you've put out a release subsequent to that, and I wanted to talk to you about that right off the start. You you met with government officials last week. How did that go? Well, it was a very cordial meeting, and it was at their request. And uh, we had a, a fulsome discussion, I think, uh, in regards to what we consider to be a, a crisis, um, of uh, hemorrhaging physicians out of this province and um, elsewhere, and particularly in family medicine and most particularly in Central. And um, they, uh, they were interested in what we had to, to say and they were interested in listening to our uh, outlines of, of various potential solutions and they said that they would take our information under advisement. So overall, positive. So what sort of solutions are you looking for? Well, clearly what we've been doing for the last 20 odd years in this province just isn't working. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, at this point in time, we need to be very creative and think outside the box. But we also have to recognize that the status quo just isn't working. And so when you're when you're considering this issue, you have to look at two aspects of it. One, you have to look at why do we have a crisis in the first place? What is happening that physicians are are giving up their family practice and, and leaving sometimes leaving the province and sometimes leaving the profession entirely? And then you have to start thinking, okay, so if these are the issues that physicians are dealing with, then what are some potential solutions? So do you want to talk a little bit about why physicians are leaving? Well, yeah, I was going to ask you. So what constitutes this crisis? Why are physicians leaving in such numbers? Okay, so so <laughs> think about the healthcare system and where we came from and when healthcare as it is currently being provided was set up decades and decades ago, well before I got into the game. Patients would come into your office, they would present with one or two complaints, you would uh, be paid a fee for sorting that out and providing treatment. And in order to make a, a living, a reasonable living, 
you would have to see a certain number of patients during the day. And a lot of the things you were seeing, to be quite honest, when I first got into family medicine over 30 years ago, were fairly straightforward. Um, you know, an earache, a bit of a cough, a fever, a baby not growing as well, those kinds of things. And occasionally you would get somebody with with complex medical issues, but but the general thing was it was fairly straightforward type of meat and potatoes medicine we used to call it, and you could see you could generate a, a decent living uh, considering your overhead. You had to you had to ha- pay for your office and you had to pay for the phone depressors and you you know you had to pay the salary for the nurse that worked with you and the re- receptionist if you had one. And all those things were quite reasonable. Well, fast forward to the world that we live in today, and we have a population, particularly here in this province, but certainly across the country, where the population is older, the population has much more complex illnesses, so people stay alive with chronic disease a lot longer than they used to, which means there's many different kinds of medicines and treatments that they have to have. And so when you have a patient who comes into your office, um, oftentimes you're dealing with things like you're dealing with their lung problems and they've got a bit of heart disease and their high blood pressure and their diabetes and their glaucoma. And then they're also having um, all the psychosocial issues that, that we have in society today and add in things that have happened with COVID and then people's mental health and so when you have a patient coming in this is not a five or ten minute discussion this is half an hour or 40 minutes while you're trying to to figure out what medications out of the, the 15 medicines they're taking they really should be on and adjusting doses and some sometimes what investigations need to happen and so for the average fee-for-service physician family doctor out there and even for fee-for-service specialists you know it's it's far more complex and so you have to see fewer people in the day because in order to do a decent job with everybody but the cost of your building and your even the paper that goes on your examining table has all gone up substantially. And we have trained our residents to work in teams where they have access to social work and physio and and all those other allied health who help us and have particular areas of focus and, and know what to do. And then they go out into clinical practice and those people are are, are perhaps working in a hospital or something and they don't have access to them. So the world from medicine has changed and our new grads have changed with it. And so you have a lot of physicians uh, in practice now who who cannot make a, a good living with fee-for-service. They are overwhelmed with the the uh, necessary investigations and treatments of very complex patients, the paper, the amount of paperwork uh, that's required is probably 10 times what it used to be. It's everybody wants a form that has to be filled out. And, and if you're the family doctor, you're getting dinged all the time to do that. And sometimes you don't get paid for it and you're doing those kinds of things in the evening on your own time. And then, of course, add in COVID and all the stresses from a physical and, and masking and distancing 
plus the mental health issues of, of your patients having COVID or being frightened of COVID, are you being on the front lines and being frightened of COVID? And I remember very clearly what that was like when I was on the front lines two years ago. Would I get it? Would I not? If I got it, how sick would I be? Could I die? Could I bring it home to my kids? I mean, we all went through these kinds of stresses. So we have physicians now who are who are really burnt out and at the end of their rope and frustrated. And then in this province, we went four years without a contract. And there was a lot of back and forth in the media. And, and many of the comments that were made um, were quite disrespectful. And physicians in this province have felt undervalued, unappreciated, and disrespected. And then we got uh, an agreement that really didn't do very much to reverse those feelings. Um, and it didn't take into account the increases of of the cost of living and, and all that kind of stuff that people had gone without for four years. And so I think in, in some respects, that is just being the straw that's broken the camel's back. And of course, COVID has made everything much, much worse. So so you have people who are saying, yeah, it's just not worth it. The stress of, of the job is worth it. I'm not being paid um, for all the extra work I do. The patients are so complex. Um, sometimes people are very demanding. I have an appointment next week that's available, but that's not fast enough. And, and everybody's short-tempered. You know, everybody's feeling stressed and 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 frustrated and unhappy uh, they the whole the whole province i think you know from from living with covid and people are saying yep yeah, it's just not worth it i'm getting out i'm getting out of the game altogether so <laughs> yes uh, and we're we're up to a breakdown i want to revisit yeah. some of what you said there and particularly when it comes to the pay for service model um because i i know that that's been a big topic for a while now and some work had been carried out in trying to make some changes there and update or modernize that system i want to explore that a little bit when we come back after the break my sure. guest today on on target is the president of the nlma dr susan mcdonald we'll be back right after this join us for on target Why hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you on target weekday afternoons at one on your VOCM. My guest today on on target is the president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Medical Association, Dr. Susan McDonald. And uh, Susan, you just outlined some of the stresses and strains that um, have made things untenable for some family physicians here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And you mentioned the fee for service model. And I know there've been calls by the NLMA, your predecessor, Dr. Lynette Powell had raised that as well um, in terms of uh, having to modernize that. Newfoundland and Labrador, one of the few provinces in Canada that still hadn't updated that system uh, to meet, you know, changing needs within the healthcare system. Where are we with, with changes to fee-for-service? Well, there, there, it, within our M- MOA, our Memorandum of Understanding, which will soon be our contract, um, we do have, uh, and the government has agreed to, looking at blended capitation and as a model, and and we will be getting that started, I hope, within the next year. And that's a, a system where uh, a fee-for-service family physician can opt into this model where they will receive um, uh, an amount of money sort of um, per patient per year to look after those patients, and then they can top that up with a, a small, very small fee-for-service 
every time they see that patient for specific things, for example. And it and it does um, it does try and reduce this pressure of having to put through so many patients per day in order to in order to make your overhead and that kind of stuff. Um, so you know it. it it's a it's a move forward. We're hopeful that this is going to be helpful in in making our particularly our younger uh, colleagues who have trained under a very similar model um, more comfortable staying in full service family practice. Um, and and we're we're hopeful that this is going to work as well as it has in other places. There's no model that's perfect, but we're thinking this has got to be better than what we've got. Um, so, so that's one of the the, the options that uh, that we have now. Of course, some family physicians will be very comfortable in joining something like that, and and others will want to maintain the type of practice that they have because it's working for them or because of their the particular uh, style of practice. Um, so, that, I guess that's where we're we're at with that. Um, and of course, there's the collaborative care clinics, which um, there are a couple that the, the government have started, and and that is sort of another type of model where um, people will be sort of paid. Uh, I think it's a salary, really, uh, to work and defined hours and, and defined number of patients and that sort of thing. Um, and how well that model is going to work, we're we're not 100% sure. It certainly sounds great on paper, but you know we, we don't have any feedback from physicians to say, yeah, I've worked in it for six months or a year now, and these are the things that are working well, and these are the things that... Um, are, are not working well um, and and collaborative clinics you have to remember that that there's a multiple people that work in that and so if a patient comes in with a particular problem we don't know who they're necessarily going to see um, and if you have a moment I'll give you any a, a good example of, of why having a, a having a family physician as your most responsible clinician is is of benefit, I had a a man that I was was referred to to me, and he'd had uh, several months of fatigue and saw a dietitian, and uh, because he was thinking, well, you know, I don't have very much energy. I wonder why why that's happening, and uh, maybe I need some vitamins or it's my diet. And he got some very good advice from the dietitian, but it really didn't change the fatigue. And then he then he noticed that his shoulder was kind of sore, and he thought, I wonder if I've pulled a muscle doing something. So he went and saw a physiotherapist and got some exercises. And gosh, that didn't that didn't do anything. And then he saw a nurse practitioner and got some mild anti-inflammatories because maybe it's a bit of you know overstrain or something. That didn't work. And then he, he saw his family physician, and his family physician looked at the whole picture and said, hmm, chronic fatigue, pain that's unexplained and hasn't gone away with a good course of physio and, and anti-inflammatories. I wonder if there's something more ominous going on. And sure enough, did the investigations, followed up with the x-rays, and the patient has lung cancer. Oh, dear. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, so you have to, you always have to have, regardless of what kind of model, you have to have one person, and traditionally it's been a family physician, who is going to oversee everything, who pulls all together all the different um, pieces from you seeing the, you know, talking to your pharmacist and, and maybe getting a refill from your pharmacist or getting an, uh, your immunization from your pharmacist and getting your physio somewhere and seeing the nurse practitioner for something else. There needs to be one clinician who's going to look at the whole picture and put the pictures together and make sure nothing is missed. Um, and the other issue about the collaborative care clinics that we're, we're very unclear about, um, and we've been getting some sort of negative messaging, and I'm not sure how true this is going to be, is that um, we have about 300,000 people in this province who are looked after by independent family doctors. And our understanding is that if a family physician joins a collaborative practice, their patients do not move with them. And the collaborative practices are all, as far as we know, going to be run through the regional health authority. And that means that independent physicians who want to be their own boss and have their own business, as they have for decades and decades, um, wouldn't be able to join without leaving their patients behind or they wouldn't be able to bring their patients with them and that means that there's 300,000 people in this province who might not be able to join a collaborative clinic or or have the benefits of a collaborative clinic um, un, unless they unless something changes so we're a little concerned about that because there are family doctors out there who say, my God, I would love to have a nurse practitioner and, and have access to a physio two days a week. And I'd love to have those people in my practice and that my patients would be able to get the benefit of that because then my patients get better care than I can provide. Um, but unless they're allowed to, to uh, create this, and so far our information is saying no, they wouldn't, um, what happens to that? Because that, that's almost two-thirds of our profits. And I, so. I want to circle back to something you said earlier, because, I mean, you know, obviously the, the family physician has to be the lead on this, one would think. But so how does that work when somebody presents at a uh, collaborative care clinic or calls the collaborative care clinic? Is there an intake and they say, you know, I've been having these headaches lately. Okay, well, you know, let's send you to the herbalist or something. You know, how does yeah. that work? I don't know, actually, because I, I'm not part of the collaborative care clinic, so I'm not sure how patients get triaged and how they determine which practitioner is the best thing for you. Um, and I don't, I'm not 100% sure, and perhaps somebody uh, more in the know will be able to, to confirm or deny this, but there has to be a most responsible clinician. Um, whether it's the, the, the family doctor, which is the model that I'm, you know, family doctors, this is how we're trained and, and it, this is the work that we do. So um, to me, it just makes sense that it would be a family physician. But um, there has to be somebody who looks at the whole picture and is, is the most responsible person to make sure that all the pieces fit together and nothing is missed. A lot of times what happens, and I used to work years ago in, in uh, walk-in clinics, 
Um, the problem is you see a patient in a walk-in clinic, the patient's new to you, you do a quick run-through of the chart, you think to yourself, wow, I think this patient needs a chest x-ray. I'm not very, you know, I'm not very uh, happy with what I'm seeing in front of me on, a, on my physical exam. You order the chest x-ray and then who follows up on it, right? So, and that's how things get lost. That's how things disappear into the ether and patients don't get the timely care that they require. There has to be somebody who's responsible for always getting the the blood work and the x-ray and the EKG reports so that somebody has the responsibility of looking at those and signing off and saying, yep, everything's okay, or wait a minute, this needs further investigation. And, and you know, family physicians, Part of part of what you tra- you spend so much time training in family medicine for is not only how to look at the big picture, but how to manage your patients who have chronic illnesses like congestive heart failure and diabetes and all these things, which will eventually lead to your death um, at much sooner if you don't have it managed. Um, but how to keep those things under as good as control as possible and how to figure out when people are going slightly going off the rails um, and need to get pulled back into better, better management. And so in my mind, um, a family doctor is ideally positioned to be that, you know, the, the, the person who's the most responsible clinician. But again, that's my opinion. And uh, what it sounds like to me is that you simply don't have enough information about how these work. I don't. I don't, and I, I'm not in it. Um, I do know that, you know, um, there's statements about, well, it's family physicians who were not doing family medicine who are who have gone into these. Um, they are trained family physicians, but, um, you know, they were doing other things that were important in the system. So... Um, I, I really don't know how the day-to-day is going to work. And we haven't had the feedback from the physicians starting in those, in those um, clinics to be able to really truly evaluate. And I, and I hope that there will be a, a thorough evaluation process. I haven't heard that there will be, but, but any time you start something new, you, you have a bright idea and you think, wow, I think this would be a really good idea. Um, you have to you have to take a very um, critical eye to it after it's been up and running for a while, and and look at it with a very very detailed sort of thing. So, for example, years ago the e consult program, I I was one of the the leads that brought that to the province. And it was a great idea, we thought, and we wanted to get it up and going, and it, and it, you know, we, we got it off the ground, and it was growing. And then after it had been working for a while, we took a very thorough look and said, where are the deficiencies? What? And, and that's a hard thing to do when it's been your pet project, you know, is to take a really hard-nosed look at something and say, where is it not working and where does it work well um, and then you can tweak it and I and I hope with the collaborative care clinics that they will be doing that kind of evaluation but I haven't heard I haven't heard of that so 
My guest today on On Target is President of the NLMA, Dr. Susan McDonald. And uh, Susan, in your latest release, you outline uh, some of the very serious concerns that are evolving, especially in central Newfoundland. I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Mike, uh, sure. we'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. My guest today is Dr. Susan McDonald, president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Medical Association. And uh, right off the top, Susan, you made reference to this crisis in healthcare, particularly in central Newfoundland. What is the current situation in the central region and what constitutes a crisis? Well, last week we, we told you about the last physician leaving the health centre in St. Albans. And in the, by the end of June, Harbour Breton, Buckins, Bayvert, and Fogo will have no physicians. Another physician is leaving the health centre in Whitburn at the end of May, and there will only be two people there to cover emergency um, health in uh, the community's health centre. And the health centres in St. Lawrence. And New West Valleys are going to be reduced to one physician by this summer. Um, One physician is leaving St. Lawrence by the end of June. Two physicians are leaving New West Valley by the end of July. And the physician numbers in Bonavista are all over the place and unstable and probably likely um, to be uh, having people leave by spring, the end of spring. And... Uh, the health centers in Bergio, Flowers Cove, and Forto. The last remaining physicians are leaving there, as well as the last doctor in Roddington has left the province. So, are these so, new developments, or, or yeah. I mean, do we have we known that some of these physicians were planning to leave or retire, or are these you know people who are suddenly said, "No, nope, that's it." Well. I don't know all of them personally, and I don't know how long people have been thinking about this. I do know that there are a lot of physicians that I talk to who who have said to me, I never thought I would be leaving. I, I never wanted to close up shop. I've always been happy to be here in Newfoundland, and it is untenable. I can't do this anymore. So... Um, how many of those physicians decided very quickly and how many it was simmering and, and brewing and they were getting through the crisis as best they could and they just met their breaking point? I don't know. I just, what I do know is that those communities are in deep trouble. And um, I don't know about you, but I would not be wanting to run a fish plant or a mine in a community where there is no physician. Um, and sure, there will be people who will say, well, you know, as long as there's paramedics, we can always scoop somebody up from an accident site and whiz them off to the nearest hospital. But if the nearest hospital is 90 minutes away and we have typical Newfoundland weather, I wouldn't want that to be my loved one, one of my children sitting in the back of an ambulance. I'll tell you that. So, sure, the world is changing, and Newfoundland has to change with it. And the and and the idea of having a, a physician everywhere that there's a handful of people living is is likely not sustainable. Um, however, 
this is the standard of care and uh, we have to start looking really carefully about uh, do we drop the standard of care do we say um, well too bad for you if you live in a town with a mine well, you know and, uh, and a hockey rink and uh, your kids are playing hockey but hey if somebody has a serious accident on the hockey rink or down in the mine well I guess an ambulance is the best you get um, you know, I think I think the the people of this province need to be really thoughtful and think. Hey, hang on, is this what I want? Is this? Am I comfortable with this? If you're comfortable with it, that's fine. If you're not comfortable with it, then you need to speak up. Because um, who does the government listen to? They listen to the people, and um, and so they're going to take their their. Uh, their cues from from the public and and part of what i do with this media presence is trying to inform the public uh, about decisions that get made and how it impacts them because i think uh, i think the people of this province are are quite capable of deciding for themselves what kind of health care they want and they should be vocal about the kind of health care that they want so what are some of those barriers to physician recruitment and retention? Because really, they're two different things uh, in, different in things, rural right. Newfoundland and Labrador as a whole. Well, okay. So let's say you graduated from medical school. You you probably had two degrees. On average, the students that, that are coming in have at least two degrees. So they've, they've been in university for quite some time, and then they add four years of medical school, and then anywhere from two to seven years of extra training. Okay? So by the time you come out of medical school, you have a lot of debt, like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And you are very much in demand. So you can go anywhere in this country and set up a job and you are wanted. So let's say you graduate from family medicine and you've got $300,000 worth of debt and um, Ontario offers you a great salary and you're going to be one of six people. So call is only one in six and there's a signing bonus of 100000 or whatever and they'll pay your moving costs and you can live in a community where you are going to have access to any amenity that you want. Um, there's an international airport. You could fly around the world nearby. Great schools for your kids. I mean, think about it. And then you can get offered a job in Newfoundland where you, up until very, very recently, there might not have been any presence at a conference or anybody trying to convince you to come, even if you're a graduate from here. Um, the salary was the lowest in Canada. You are hours away from uh, the usual conveniences that most people take for granted. Um, in some places, your internet is terrible. Um, the roads might be awful, and let's face it, nobody has moved to Newfoundland, myself included, for the weather. So if you take all those kinds of things and then you look at the job itself and you say, wow, I'm going to be one of two physicians or one of three physicians, um, I'm going to be inundated uh, all the time. Every third night I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to look after the the local um, senior center um, or nursing home. I'm going to have to do shifts in the eMERGE. 
Um, there isn't a hockey rink for my kids to play in. There, you know, you 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 look at all those kinds of things. There's your recruitment issues. So you have to make the package really enticing. So you have to make the package financially really enticing. So how do we get people up in places like Nunavut or James Bay? We pay them really well. We pay them above and beyond. And then we throw in perks. Yeah, for example, if you work up in James Bay, we'll give you so many trips down to the, the local city uh, so many times per year at uh, no cost so that you can do your shopping, that you can go out to restaurants, that you can you know, have the kind of life that the, the average person wants to have and that you get your vacation time and, and that sort of thing. And you're going to be part of a group. So you're not going to be working every night on call and you are not going to, you know, you're going to be paid for for the, the work you do in a fair and, and honest way. So that's the that's the recruitment part. Then we have to keep people once we get them. So that means having people work with a large enough group of allied health professionals as well as other physicians so that there's some camaraderie, so that there's people that they can talk to about with difficult cases, so that you're not the only person in that community that people that that you never get a break from it, um, that you are not stopped in the grocery store with people asking for prescriptions because you know they can't get they, there's there's no time to come in and see you during the day. Um, and that you, you know, you get opportunities to to continue your education because medicine is a constantly evolving job. The way we practice now, what I know about medications is way different than it was five years ago, even in my field. So there's constant education that you have to be able to have access to, and at minimum, you have to have high-speed internet. So. You have to look at all those kinds of things and you have to say, hmm, how competitive is Newfoundland and Labrador compared to other places in Canada? Um, ask yourself that question and then talk to some physicians and you'll find out the answer very quickly. It's we're not. I want to ask you too about uh, Ottawa's role in all of this when we come back after the break. My guest today sure. on On Target is President of the Newfoundland and Labrador Medical Association, Dr. Susan McDonald. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back. My guest today is President of the Newfoundland and Labrador Medical Association, Dr. Susan McDonald. And uh, you were just out some of the things, some of the barriers, I guess, to physician recruitment and retention, but it all requires, of course, that all-important money. And I know the premiers uh, collaboratively right across Canada have been calling on Ottawa to cough up with more money for healthcare transfers. Is that part of the problem here, that we're simply not able to compete because we don't have the money to compete? Well, I would say probably it, it it's certainly a factor. Um, you know, we're a very small province. We have a, a limited number of ways of, of making money. We have a, a very small tax base. You know, there's only half a million of us here. Um, and it, there's only so much that, that a provincial, uh, the, the provincial coffers can, can manage. And so... Absolutely, I would say that that um, 
those provinces like ours need more support from the federal government. I mean, the, you know, there's a, a real push to make medical licenses completely portable. So you get licensed and then you can go anywhere you want. Well, my God, when that happens, you know, that's going to make it, it much more difficult for us to recruit and retain um, physicians than it is already. So, um, and that's, you know, in some ways that's already started. So absolutely, if the federal government can support provinces like ours uh, to improve healthcare transfer, you know, transfers of money, that would be a, a tremendous benefit. It, but it's more than just money. And you're looking, you know, you have to look at the bigger picture. Can we be creative in how we use the money that we already have? Can we look for inefficiencies? Can we make sure that everybody is working to the scope of, of their best practice? Can we, can we be creative in pulling people into new ways of doing things? Can we encourage our communities to make physicians who come to those communities feel tremendously valued and wanted uh, so that they'll want to stay? I mean, it's more than just money, but of course, money's, money's one of the big ones, isn't it? It really is. It comes down to that. And a lot of, I mean, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have these types of shows, I suppose. But um, right off the top, you spoke about this uh, meeting you had with government officials last week. You called it cordial. Uh, I guess just to round or circle the square, what came out of it? Well, you know, I I think they they have a better understanding of our concerns. We were able to bring very specific data to them of what communities are going to be without a physician. Um, they have a perspective with um, the the health accord and their long term plans, um, and and I respect that. Um, my concern is if I have a patient who's bleeding. From from a major, uh, a major cut right now, and they're bleeding all over the floor. What I'm going to do for them five to ten years from now is not so much an issue. I need to stop the bleeding today, like right now. So I'm looking for occlusive bandages. I'm looking to put pressure on the wound. I'm looking to get IVs started and and get the patient cross matched and for for hanging blood and transfusions. You know, I'm I'm worried about right now. I'm worried about those communities right now that will be losing their last family doctor within. In weeks. Um, yeah, I think having a long-term plan, great, because we haven't had long-term plans, and that's why we're in the mess we're in now. But we're in this mess right this very minute, and we have to do something about it right this minute. So I guess our focus is perhaps a little bit different, and, um, you know, we, we we are on different sides of the table in some ways. We, we both have the, I think in many respects, we have the, the best intentions for the people of this province, and we go after it in different ways. Can those solutions be found time enough to help the people in St. Albans or St. Lawrence or, or um, you know, other New West Valley? Well... I think in the meantime, while we are scrambling, and, and really this is a government issue, they, they've got to put the effort in, they've got to be the creative, they've got to put the money where their mouth is. 
Um, so the ball is in their court. But in the meantime, we have the fallback positions, which is virtual care and diversion. Those aren't, those are not great. Um, but it is what it is, and it's better than nothing. But um, boy, oh boy, I, I would be concerned if I was in Flowers Cove or New West Valley, let me tell you. Uh, Dr. Susan McDonald, we have uh, about two minutes left. Final thoughts? Well, you know, it, this healthcare system it didn't get in the mess it, it's in overnight. We have had a long history of really not paying attention to the long-term solutions, you know, with um, human resources planning and that sort of thing. And, and you know, when, when Minister Haggie was in my job 20 years ago, he was calling for the same things. And I just don't understand how we, how these things just, we haven't paid attention to it. It, it seems, you know, you wouldn't buy a house without thinking, can I afford the mortgage and how am I going to, you know, how am I going to pay for things? It's the same thing in healthcare. Um, we jump on the bandwagon for expensive treatments and we don't even think how we're going to pay for this. Um, oh, let's put a PET scanner in every, in every hospital. We can't afford to do that. You have to look really carefully at, the, at this situation and, and be as realistic as possible and be creative and, and listen to the population and listen to the physicians who are on the front lines. Uh, we know what it's like to work day in and day out in the system. We know what it, where the inefficiencies are. We know where, where our, our allied health uh, collaborators are struggling to. We want to be part of the solution. So help us be part of the solution. Um, and I would say to the, to the population of Newfoundlander and Labradorians who are listening to this, you know, speak up. If healthcare is important to you, speak up. It is not just rural Newfoundland that is in danger. I know specialists who are leaving here in St. John's. I know family physicians here in St. John's who are packing it up and moving on. And it is not just a rural problem. The rural is where we're bleeding the most. But listen, it is coming to an urban center near you. And um, if you want health care, speak up. Dr. Susan McDonald, no doubt you and a lot of other people will be watching this news conference tomorrow in Gander very closely. I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Alrighty. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another show. Stay tuned for that. Uh, I appreciate uh, you having a listen this afternoon. Thanks to Brian Callahan as well for stepping in yesterday with a sports show. I was unable to listen, but I hear it was quite a rollicking conversation. So thanks very much to uh, Brian et al. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you then.